Welcome to Creating Connection, a podcast for mothers with me, your host, Anne Cullen. I'm going to be sharing with you my personal and professional experiences as a connection-centered parenting specialist and motherhood mentor, and having some amazing conversations with some guests who you are going to love. This is the ultimate parenting podcast for those of you who are striving to be more conscious, gentle, intuitive, and of course, connected. Thanks for tuning in. um, There we go. Hello, everybody. I am so, so happy to be here um, coming to you live on Facebook, but in multiple places. And of course, I've got the lovely Tracy Castles with me from Evolutionary Parenting, not just from Evolutionary Parenting, but the founder of Evolutionary Parenting. (laughs) So thank, thank you. you so much. This is a long time coming. I've wanted to do this for so long. Oh, it is. So, thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, I um, you know, I've been I've been a reader and a follower of you and your work. I just wish, and people say this to me all the time, I just wish you were around when my children were younger. Right? Do you hear that from other people? I do. And I always counter with, I kind of wish I was around when my kids were younger too. So it would be really nice. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you started putting your information out widely to the world in about 2011. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And my daughter was, I mean, she was only one at that point. So I've kind of, when I, I joke about that, it's, disseminating the research is one thing and that I've been able to kind of do, but putting it into practice is something that's I've found very different from that process. So starting with just disseminating and understanding the theory and this, that, and then moving towards actually working with people and, you know, how does this look across a million different ways in which families work and their situations are and everything and having to kind of piece that together has been a very different thing that's, you know, mm. I've been it for several years now, but, you know, now my daughter's 10 and it's, you know, a different look of stuff and you start to face the new challenges that you hadn't thought about. And so it is, that's what I mean by, you know, my joke that I wish I was around when she was younger. Cause she was young when I started writing, but that was a very different yeah. feel than actually the practical one-on-one help. So how much did your own learning before you had children influence you know well actually I want to go back to not just how you parented in those early years but how did you think you were going to parent and did it turn out to be any different than what you thought oh um well in some ways I am parenting exactly as I'd hoped and thought and in some ways massively different so I started um my mom it goes back to my mom and the way she parented us and I was very lucky in some ways she was, you know, we, she, all of us were born at home and we were breastfeeding. We all self weaned somewhere ages three to four between like three or four. Um, there's three of us. So it's all the same. Um, so I witnessed breastfeeding. My siblings are a lot younger than I am. So like I am seven and a half years older than my brother and 13 and a half years older than my sister. So I saw mm-hmm. a lot of that. Um, she moved, I did not co-sleep, but she moved towards it. So by the time my sister was born, they co-slept. I mean, there'd be times my sister was, you know, 
eight, nine, 10 and still helping it, you know, they were still sharing a bed. It might not be all the time or part of the time, but that was their reality. So I saw that and I saw the benefits of that. I knew kind of that security and that sense that we had with her there. And so I knew right off the bat, I, I was going to do that. I was the only person when I took my prenatal class. Um, they had a breastfeeding segment on it um, where you could take this extra breastfeeding class to go over, you know, come in problems that you might face, who to go to, all this kind of stuff. It was really well done. And um, they asked at the beginning, how long do you think you're going to breastfeed for? And everyone had their number, six months, nine months, maybe a year. This and that. I was the only one that I'm like, till my kid stops. Like, no. isn't that kind of, and the looks, even then they were like looking at, are you crazy? I'm like, that's my reality. Like, that's what I grew up with watching. And that really highlighted to me the importance of that cultural transmission of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I had... So- Sorry, I was going to say, so I knew in that realm, I planned on co-sleeping, I planned on, you know, breastfeeding, all of that, but I was still an academic of this, and I'm like, I am going to be back to work exactly as I was, I'm going to be so efficient, I'm going to get everything done, it's going to be awesome, and I was like, my kid, you know, and whenever, I didn't know he or she when I was pregnant, you know, but you know, this child, it'll be great. We'll get daycare. That'll go in. It'll be fine. Everything will work right. And and they'll tolerate my working this, that. That was um, the world's wrongest assumption ever. So that was kind of my like, oh, crap, this kid's not doing that. Um, I had an orchid, right? This was, she was not being put down. She was not going out of my arm. She was nursing endlessly. Um and it really forced me, as my husband said, I used to be the most go, go, go efficient. Everything had to be efficient. Like I would get angry if we took the wrong route somewhere driving. Cause I'm like, no, if you turn there, it's going to be like one minute faster. And I can't believe you're not doing that. And it just forced me to slow down mm. and so much. And that just shifted who I feel like I am, but also how I parent was that kind of it really forced me to go back to that. So I learned a lot from that, even though I didn't have the term market, I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know what was there. I'd read up on difficult temperaments, but you know, anyway, we can get into that, but it was just that threw me and that completely shifted kind of everything for me in yeah. terms of, all of parenting. I can really relate to that as a, as a, you know, so-called professional who'd been working with children and parents for many years before I had my own children who'd been studying this stuff forever. Um, literally, it seemed like at the time, you know, and and then this, my first child came along and things went fairly smoothly, actually. Looking back, I still compared myself and him to other parents, but it was that second child who sounds similar to yours um, the so-called orchid child that really flipped everything around for me. But it's that it can be so stressful and also the biggest gift in the world to think you know it all and think you know what you're going to do and how things are going to be and then have it flip-flopped. Because, But that comes from that just nature that you had, that belief that you had in being responsive to your child, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, because not everyone would have had that kind of response. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, there's, and I, I admit it was nice that there wasn't a point at which I thought I have to change her. 
that was never kind of part of what it, it was always more about, oh, okay, I guess I'm changing now. Um, and, you know, I will admit something that stuck with me that I think probably resonated more than I ever gave it credit for is prior to her birth, I had read somewhere, I don't even know, it might have been a freaking fortune cookie, I'm not sure. But it was one, I don't know if it's Buddhism or Hinduism, but there was a belief in a religion I'm, I'm, that I had just read about that said, you're not given the parent, you're not given the parent, you're not given the child you want, you're given the child you need. Mm. And except that whatever child you get is teaching you a lesson in life, then you'll make that work, that relationship, everything will will kind of come together. And that stuck with me big time. I was you know, with this baby that was so different. And you're like, well, I love you. I'm enjoying you. And I guess this is, to me, I need to slow down here. This is kind of where things need to go. So, you know, so I think there was something there already. And just the responsiveness. I mean, I think you can't have the ideas of co-sleeping, breastfeeding on demand, everything without there being an acknowledgement that our kids require things of us, even if it's inconvenient for us or doesn't match our predetermined plan of what things are going to look like. Yeah, but we are not supported in our culture. I mean, luckily for me, um, when I had my um, here, our, our National Health Services, the Plunkett nurse comes to see you, um, you have your midwife, and then the Plunkett nurse comes and the Plunkett nurse that came to see me happened to co sleep and was, um, you know, involved with little HA league breastfeeding support organization, you know, that gets all of this stuff. And when I said, you know, my midwife told me I can just leave Max to cry for a little bit. And I did that. And I hated it. And I'm never doing that again. And she said, have you thought about going along to the late league? And I said, no, because breastfeeding is going fine. You know, well, that turned out to be um, the best thing. I mean, it really changed the path of my, my whole career here. Um, it's why I'm a lactation consultant, actually, <laughs> with that. But it was having that support. Yeah. I, you know, because I didn't grow up um, necessarily, you know, I wasn't parented in that same way. Um mm-hmm. Obviously, that wasn't the what wasn't the path that my my mom took, and I'm a little bit older than you, so it was a little bit more common probably too. Growing up in um, Minnesota in the '70s, you know, you were just you know seen, uh, not heard, kind of thing. Um, But it's finding some information and then being able to go. You know what? This actually feels better, and I base so much on. Yes, what I read. Yes, the research. But what about how we just feel about yes, something? Absolutely. I, I, it's so important. And I, you know, I just want to go back to something you said about, you know, the lack of support. And so often I have to remind families and others that, you know, we talk a lot about what's normal in terms of what infants need and what our orchids need and everything. And I see so many families that then wonder what's wrong with me because I can't meet all these needs. Mm -hmm. And the reminder is what's not normal is you having to cope with this in this society with no support and no help. That is not normal. And so when you can acknowledge that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with your child. There's nothing wrong with you. Everything is wrong with everything around us that gives us that lack of support. And that it's, 
such a crucial thing, I think, for parents to really, if they can take anything home, if they can take that home, then it becomes a lot easier to not put the burden on your child, hopefully not put too much of the burden on yourself, but as much as you can, and mm -hmm. then go from there and really do um, whatever is needed to make it work for you in a better, in a way that respects everyone involved is kind of that. But yeah. that's, I mean, just such a crucial it often, thing. It often seems like families are only given the choice between mom or the parents uh -huh. and meeting her needs or the child. And I think a lot of people really have this idea that only you know, only the adults or only the children can have their needs met. It's, it's like we put them, we've put them against each other. And yeah. at no point should you be pit against your child. That's like, when you think about the long-term ramifications of that perspective, it's mm. detrimental to everyone involved because your kids grow up believing that they're and they're the opposite of you that meeting you know they have to sacrifice themselves for you then down the line and yeah. you know I think when you look at cultures where there's a bit more support and respect one of the things that you also tend to see is better elder care and that yeah. is you know and I, th I think it's one circle it all comes together in yeah. terms of how we look at basically how much people need from us. And because we all lack the support, we don't have that sense of interdependence. We view mm -hmm. dependence as either you need to be independent or you're codependent. And mm -hmm. those are very different things coming to play. So that idea of interdependence, where there's a cycle of, you know, you think about in infancy, yeah, they have a lot more needs that we need to meet and do stuff for. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing. But then as they get older, you know, you're kind of sharing. You're taking care of yourself. They're taking care of themselves. It goes. And then it suddenly kind of inverts and mm -hmm. they need their help again. And mm -hmm. I like to think that, you know, part of what parenting in this responsive and gentle way does is set that framework up that you know, your kids are happy to take on that burden later because they don't feel like they were a burden. Because if you feel like you were a burden, then why would you want to then, you know, yeah. burden yourself more by mm -hmm. taking on that elder care? And that's, I mean, I think that, I feel like that's a crucial piece that is missed in our culture when we think about the cost of elder care and everything. And the elder care abuse that we see is yeah. the treatment of our elders is just atrocious. And it, I think it all starts though back at infancy. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, that's a good point about it. it's why, you know, I think I'm so passionate about supporting this early part of a human's journey uh, because it really, really matters. And if we can grow an empathetic brain um, mm -hmm. in a secure uh, relationship in the beginning, then, you know, we're going to just want to take care of, and, and, you know, it's not just elders and we're seeing this, this is, you know, not turning this into a talk about governments, but <laughs> really, um, you know, it's, it's um, recently what's been happening in the world. You can really see the difference between a community who cares about everyone um, and that whole, so this is, this is a very, very um, deep systemic I mean, my, my first major uh, in my bachelor's was anthropology and sociology. So I could obsess about this and talk about it all day long. <laughs> but, you know, when you're right, when, when the entire 
society or culture can wrap around the idea that we all need all of us together, then we wouldn't have this problem in our parenting. I know it. And we put it and you're right. It's not just elders. You think about battles over living wages or, you know, support when people lose a job and everything. And you're just going, how do we view this as not my problem? I mean, it's, of course it is. We're all in this together. And when a group in your country, in your city and is struggling, then it becomes your problem. Whether you like to think of it or not, I always, you know, I have a yeah. friend that always gives an economic argument. She's like, it at least speaks to people that the cost to you of these problems is, and she, you know, had worked it out and stuff. And sometimes mm -hmm. it does get people like, oh, oh, that's not good. I Wait, I've got to work. Like, well, what do we do then? And it's like, well, if mm -hmm. everyone did a small bit here and we really push that, then guess what? Even just from an economic perspective, you wouldn't yeah. face that. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's getting that buy-in. And I think, yeah, going going back to our parenting, this is why, you know, I, I mean, you're the one that knows the research better than I do. Uh, <laughs> I learned about the research through people like yourself. Um, but, you know, that research is telling us that this is such a critical time in a human's development. And if we can get them at the beginning feeling good and secure and um, building that empathetic brain, uh, we're going to be doing so much better. It's yeah, it's true. It's those there's the two critical periods, which are the zero to three. And then adolescence is another period of rapid transformation of the brain. And you think about as a parent right now. <laughs> the two hardest for parents are, but it's funny because, you know, I, I have one of my best friends um, has many kids, but the oldest is now a teenager. And she is just one of the most lovely teenagers you've ever met. And she said to me the other day, she goes, you know, you do not do a good enough job of really highlighting how this gentle parenting leads to these amazing teenagers and that this link it's not saying there aren't struggles there aren't this but that that relationship between feeling respected and loved young carries through so that the expectation of teenage years being this chaotic horrible time doesn't come to fruition. It's not easy peasy. It's not, I mean, goodness knows with hormones, everything, there's always going to be some struggles there, but it is, that is such a crucial piece of, of things coming together in that starting early and then, yeah. yeah so you I, I encourage everybody to, and maybe I should be talking um, even more than I do about my teenagers, because that's what encouraged me in the early days was having women around me who had done the hard yards in those early years and seeing that that payoff and having those women in my life really it was like okay and you can do this and honest to god i i do have the most incredible teenagers um they're 13 and 16 so one of them is just heading in and he's always the more challenging you know um, <laughs> however like I really am not expecting um, it to be so bad because we have built that that base. And um, can we just point out, and actually I need to stop for a moment because I'm seeing comments and everything. And I just want to let you all know that they were delayed. Um, so those of you that are listening live, thank you so much for being here. Um, and the comments were coming in, um, but we weren't seeing them. And then 
I just got flooded with a bunch. So I just want to acknowledge that we appreciate you being here, um, having a listen. And um, towards the end, I might see if anyone has any questions. So if you want to go ahead and type in a question, if you're on here live um, for Tracy or myself, feel free to put that in and we'll have a look at those soon. Um, but can we talk about the idea of how, how good do you actually have to be as a parent? And really, what is the research actually saying about how much can we mess up, Tracy? Oh, well, that depends on your child. Um, that's, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but it's true. So if you have one of the less sensitive kids who tends to be a bit more um, naturally resilient, um, you really do get quite a bit of leeway. Um, it's, it's true. It, they tend to be less affected. It's not not affected, but they're less affected. So, you know, it, you do get some space to air and air again, and again, and again, and then hopefully, you know, apologize and, you know, work towards better, but, but you get that, that space. Um, with orchid children, it is always so hard because there's less room for error, but it doesn't mean perfection. So I always caution, this is part of what I, I talk about when I work with families, it's in my ORCIDS course that I talk about, is you're, the perfect parent is not what you're aiming to be. Because actually that would be equally detrimental to your child because an ORCID still has to learn to function in the world with people who make mistakes and will struggle and will not treat them as they, they deserve and need. Um, you know, this goes to that, frankly, you can link it to the whole idea of neurodiversity, another topic we could probably talk about forever. But um, this is, they need a bit better. And sometimes what that better means is not not making mistakes. That's always the crucial part. You will still make mistakes because we are human as well. And we have our own triggers. And especially mm -hmm. if you're an orchid yourself raising an orchid, the pile of triggers that will co-op is, is massive. So it is about acknowledging you're going to make mistakes, but it's how you cope with those situations after. And that's where there's actually less room for error. So I always say to families, you need to own them completely. Do not gaslight your children into thinking that you didn't do anything wrong because your orchids will struggle with that. Um, always apologize and always put into context for them what has happened and why, because they love that context very readily. Um, where you get less leeway with these kids is in those early years where you can't, you know, apologizing to a six month old yeah. is just hard, right? They're, they're not gonna get it. And so yeah. that's where they really need that kind of proximal parenting, respectful parenting. You know, you will lose it. You may need to put them down for a moment, but they're not the kids that I think will handle sleep training really well. That's not gonna end up really great in the long run. Um, they probably won't even allow you to do it. They'll scream blue murder for so long, but it's um, that's where I think those first years are necessary times to be as, as good as you can. And that's where they need it. And then as you get older, you are given leeway to mess up. They're allowed to go experience people who will be not super kind. Um, and then how you help them cope with it is what is the crucial level of, of responsiveness. I was, I was speaking with a, a client yesterday and saying, you know, one of the hard things for me with parenting my children is I am an orchid and um, I really feel their pain so much. And I've had to really work on my own stuff, if you will, about their pain isn't 
my pain and my job as mum is not to take away all the pain or all the difficulty. In fact, that's actually going to help them. But for those of us that are really sensitive to that, um, you know, I just think it's really, really common to to not want our kids to to suffer. And, yes, and that. Sorry, yeah, no, that's exactly, and it's such a they. It's not that they need to suffer, but no. <laughs> they will, no. and we can't always take it away. And if the only thing they ever learn is that we will take it away, then we're not teaching them the skills they need to face these other things as they get older. And mm -hmm. that's what I think can be so hard. And as you said, that triggering, when you feel it yourself, it just, I mean, I don't think you can emphasize if people haven't experienced it, it is so hard to describe the degree to which their pain just rips away in you in a way that can feel, you know, everyone says when their child's hurt or upset, it breaks their heart, but it almost mm -hmm. is overwhelmingly so when you're an orchid because mm -hmm. you just you're getting triggered all at once it's bringing back every bit of pain you've had every experience you've had that you felt you you know were treated unfairly or failed or did something and on top of that you have this person and then you feel like you're failing them on top of because they're experiencing something and it's you know as what was it um anyway i was trying to remember a quote from somewhere but i can't remember it so but either way it is just so you feel like you're going to burst from all the feelings and mm -hmm. so you have to almost take that break and then be able to go cope with them but that's the i think the impetus to try and take it all away is to stop that onslaught of of everything yeah yeah so that comes back to the two things one finding support if it's not readily available to you and recognizing that's not a weakness that is just how we're supposed to be we're supposed to be supported so find your support um if you don't have it and if you're finding that you are sensitive to things and you're struggling you know this is where um you know having been um diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and depression um, myself, I'm very, very sensitive to the, to the fact that there's a, a normal amount of stress that comes with parenting. But if you really feel like you're not coping and even the support around you isn't working, that's the time to get um, help even deeper, um, kind of looking at your own, your own triggers and your own childhood, perhaps, and recognizing, gosh, this, this can be really deep in us. And you know, that I love, again, going back to research, um, you know, when we're talking about your children and how you're bringing them up, remembering how you were brought up and even how your, your parents and grandparents were brought up, it's going to be influencing what's going on. And it's far deep. You know, we kind of joke, Tracy, about, um, oh, I hear my mom's voice coming out of me and, oh, I swore I would never be, you know, but it's actually, it's common, eh? But it's, it's yeah. even deeper, deeper than that. You know, it's really all of those unconscious things that you're that you're doing that reaction that you're having either um, to your child crying or to your child talking back or all these things. You might think that how you're reacting to your child is based in the present moment and the, the interaction you're having just then. Well, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> oh 
almost nothing to do with what your kid's doing in the moment. Because if it was, we'd all be so calm because we'd look at them and be like, you're three. You just dumped something on the floor. Of course you did because you're three. And we would leave it at that and be like, oh, wait, you're a baby. You need to be held right now. Well, yeah, you're a baby. You need to be held. And it would be so logical. But because there's all these layers of everything underneath there, it's so much more complicated than it needs to be. And that's what I love, you know, and again, looking at research, when you look at these cultures and people that have the support, their view, it is, it's that mindset about child behavior. They just, yeah. Okay. I remember there was an article about the Mayan culture and how Mm -hmm. they have the support. And it was this mom who had the young daughter who didn't want to go wherever they were going to the beach or something. And the child didn't want to go. There was no battle. There was no nothing. It was purely just, oh, okay, well, I'll take you to grandma's. And, and be like, well, don't you want to force her? Won't you have a good time? Isn't this it? Why? She's perfectly yeah. capable of making a decision. She doesn't want to go. And that's like a four-year-old, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But it's still that idea that they'll learn through that experience. Or we have enough support that I don't need to fight this battle. I don't mm-hmm. need to fight out like this is not what it looks like. And so many people need that, I think. They need that awareness that it's it does shift your mindset about your child. This child wasn't bad, didn't do anything, and nor did anyone see it as bad because it wasn't their baggage. It was just a child who didn't want to go to the beach. Okay, that's yeah. fun. But that is not that is not how we think of children. I mean, children, you know, childism is real. Children aren't supposed to have thoughts and um, you know, like we we have this weird thing going on where we want the most independent adults, yet children are supposed to really do as they're told at the end of the day. Even if you are, you know, don't consider yourself authoritarian and like, you know, my way or the highway. Yeah. It's still that sort of example. People would say, oh, no, you can't do that. Because once once you've said, no, you don't have to come, you can go to grandma's then you are just opening this child up for actually having a mind she of their own. Grandma's all the time. She's never going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Oh, I know. It is so, I mean, I just, I wish people could see how ridiculous it sounds at times because it is absolutely just not the way kids are. Um, And yet, uh, you know, I liken it not just about um, this obedience and independence, which I love, I love that kind of look at obedience to independence, but also, what does being in control mean? Like, we talk a lot about you're supposed to be in control as a parent. And for so many, that idea is that you're in control only if your child does exactly what you want. And that's not control at all. Like control Mm -hmm. is you being able to keep yourself controlled, to look at them, to let the chaos reign around you and be centered and acknowledge that none of that has to do with you, that that's happening around you and that all you affect is how this goes forward. And once you have that, then you're actually in control. And when you lose it, you lose that control because your control then becomes losing your mind and yelling and getting upset. And then you don't have control anymore because they're still dictating how this goes for you're reacting to it instead of responding. And that's yes. yes. Oh my gosh. 
Tracy, I love that so much. Um, I, I, I know I could talk to you all day and I'm sure people could listen to you all day. Um, it, it's really at the crux of it is respond instead of react. And so, um, you know, I often talk to people about, you know, mindfulness is a thing most of us are hearing about, um, but you don't have to go and do a whole thing on mindfulness, but just starting to practice um, making that decision, I want to parent through the lens of responsive instead of reactive. You know, even if you can just start there with that decision, I'm going to practice being responsive instead of reactive. And and then once you make that decision and you catch yourself, you, you give yourself this little space in between your um, action and your first reaction, you know, it's how do we how do we do that in in really when we're exhausted, parenting, especially with little children who are really very dependent on you. How do you how do you how do you manage that? How do you stay zen? I um, hopefully one day I'll figure it out. Um, but that is <laughs> um, no, it's. I mean, I remind myself first off that for me it's reacting if you react you're inherently not in control because you're reacting to someone else you're always one step behind and so that always reminds me no i need to get one step ahead so that mindset sometimes can just you know repeat it mantra over and over again um i do practice a lot of walking away when i need to and saying to my kids you know what i'm overwhelmed i need to go take a few deep breaths and then i'll come back even when they're in the midst of fighting i'm like you know what i need this and I'm going to walk away and do this. And maybe they'll kill each other some more while I'm gone. And, you know, and I always feel like that urge to react often comes because we feel like the worst is going to happen if mm -hmm. we do this, right? And so sometimes I will vocalize. I'm a big believer in um, perspective taking out loud. Uh, I think yeah. it really helps. We can yeah. say it in our head. I can say, I need a moment, but we don't listen to what's in our head. It's not till it actually comes out that we make it real. And for kids, when they're, you know, when my kids are safe fighting, that's usually a huge trigger for me that I find. And I, I fail half the time at this. So I just want to be honest here that I know all this. I can preach all this and I fail at it more often than I like, but I keep trying. I get up, I try, I'm like, all right, next time I'm going to do better. Um, and I acknowledge exactly what I'm going to do to try and make it better, because I think that really helps too. You're kind of vocalizing again. It's not just, I'll try harder. It's okay. Next time when this happens, I'm going to stop myself and, you know, and, and repeat out loud, what am I going to do? But I find in the moment, I'll start just saying, okay, you're both my kids. You're, you know, four, you're 10, you're only kids. And suddenly that actually like just stating the obvious and people look at you like you're crazy because it's like okay so we're now just talking at like narrating the scenario is that but that helps because part of me is still in tune enough to get that oh yeah they're four they're ten or when they were young they're one they're five they're whatever it's of course this is hard. And then you feel that urge to just jump in, start to go down. And so sometimes depending on how much it needs to go down, where I'm at, am I tired? Am I hungry? Am I just stressed out and can't focus, which adds layers so much more. Um, yeah. 
but when I'm not, you know, sometimes that's enough. And then I can calm it down and be like, okay, I can now be here. Um, sometimes I can just get to the stage where I'm like, I have to walk away. I love you. I'll be back. And you know, it's not you, it's me. And I'll be back. And then I get there. And sometimes I fail and then it all blows up. And then I'm apologizing and trying to make amends and feeling horrible like everyone always does. Um, but always acknowledging at the end of that, that a reminder to my kids that this was not you, this was me. This was my mistake. And because I'm human, mm -hmm. I'll make them just like you're going to make them as you do. But I have to apologize to you and I have to try and, and make it better next time. That's how this goes. Um, but I think that speaking out loud I find it one of the most helpful tricks for me just to trigger enough to bring that anxiety down. Yes. Yeah. I would even say to my kids, I'm really noticing that I want to scream right now. Like I'm feeling so anxious and stressed right now. Like I feel like I want to scream. So even talking about when we can share our inner narrative, really, like you said, they can't. They can't read your body. Well, they can. They can read your body. But to help them learn to cognitively go from what they feel emotionally to what they think and how they're going to respond to people. Um, and, and, you know, it just reminds me, you gave such a beautiful um, description of how we teach children to apologize. And it is not by forcing an I'm sorry which is still so commonplace. And hey, no, um, I know people that want to do those forced apologies are coming from a place of genuinely wanting their kid to, to empathize and they're horrified by what their child has done or whatever. It all comes from a very, very good place of wanting that for your child. It's just, it's just not the, it's just not gonna work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't. And none of us feel good if someone says to you, you know, I mean, I think about it also as an adult. If someone walked up to me, like, go apologize. I, <laughs> right? Like, you just feel that way. Excuse me? Like, what do you want to say? Um, and that's not, that's not going to be helpful for anyone. And it's there. If you're not feeling apologetic, and the worst thing someone could say to you is go apologize. Proceed. And it's because, and I always tell families, this is what you do in that moment is you turn your child back to being self-centered. They become focused on themselves again. Their anger about that brings all of their thoughts, all of their emotions back to how unfair it was mm -hmm. to them. And it actually stops them from being able to then move, which they already feel in the moment because that's why yeah. they acted. There's, but if you give them enough space and they need space, then they can get to suddenly thinking about other people. And, you know, with both my kids, I've had it happen. The first time it really happened was always that little lovely moment when they apologized earnestly, but it was, they'd been so upset in each case, they'd been really angry. They lashed out and it was, you know, there were toddlers at the time and this was, and then they both, it took like two hours later, we'd all moved on. I never forced mm. the apology, but then suddenly, you know, when I did that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And you're just like, but it can take hours for them, their brain to just get there over time because they have to re-regulate. They have to get themselves emotionally calm first. And then they have to be able to think about everything that happened and process it again and get to the stage where they can see what's going on. And when you think about those steps for young kids, we're rushing things, but we're rushing them for no good reason because they can't get there. 
on our timeline. Well, I'm just thinking about all the adults that can't do that. And again, the goal, I mean, what I would hope all parents are thinking about is, um, and I'm sure anyone listening to us right now has thought about this, what do you really truly want for mm-hmm. your children and, and for your relationship? You know, it, like, so I can't answer that for you. And Tracy can't answer that for you. Only you can um, discover that for yourself, but really take some time to think, what am I truly, truly trying to do here? You know, mm-hmm. what do I most want? And I think you can do a little fun exercise. Um, Pam Douglas did this with us at a conference once about, you know, if your your son or daughter or whoever stands up to speak at, um, say, their 21st party or um, their wedding or whatever it might be sometime in the future, and they're giving a speech about you and growing up in your family, what would you want them to say? Like, what words are coming out? And if you if you play around with that sort of imagining and, and you're kind of in the future, your brain will just explore that. And yeah. it's really interesting to kind of explore into the future and and then take that and, and, and you know, carry it through. Carry it through all those moments of frustration um, and go, wait a minute, what am I actually going for here? Am I going for a robot that does everything I say? Actually, I'm not. I feel really good right now. <laughs> like, I, I feel like if we all had robots in our house, then maybe we would just do better. Like, I feel like AI is behind here. And if I had a robot that just did what I wanted, I would leave so much pressure on myself and my kids. It would be great. It would be like, oh, good. I don't need you to clean up. I have the robot. But <laughs> it's that's, I know, and it's, and that's the same thing going back to what we said earlier about teenagers. Raise your kid for the teenager you want them to be. When you think about your child as a teen, I always say, you know, think about them being pressured by friends to do whatever, mm-hmm. all the stuff that parents are scared of these days. What does that look like? And because that starts now. And if you want them to be yes people, you can make that happen. Like if that's yep. what you're looking for. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, already um, very young kids doing things that, um, and my my 13-year-old is coming home and telling me what all of your children are doing. <laughs> and you're not going to be happy with what they're doing, probably. Um, and he's coming home and telling me, and we're having really open conversations about all of that stuff. Um, yeah. And he is such a no, a no person, and he is so confident in his no. Um, but man, it took six years out of my life um, to get him. <laughs> Only six, you did great. It was a hard six years, and um, yeah, uh, it was a hard six years. But we're we're here, and he's um, thriving. It's amazing. Um, But that's why I I I really had to come back for myself to actually what really matters for me. And then, of course, if you if you are parenting in a partnership of some kind, um, then it's not just knowing maybe what your partner, um, you know, the other parent, what they want for your kid, but and talking about it, but allowing them to create their own story um, as well. And this can be challenging because I know my husband and I are not, we, we didn't see things the same. Luckily, he takes some of um, 
you know, a little bit of, um, you know, I'll be like, hey, read this article from Tracy Castles, huh? <laughs> you know? um, here's a little bit about the brain and how we should be talking to our children. And he'd be like, oh, okay. So I did lead the way. I mean, obviously, that's what I did. He'd never held a baby before he held his first baby. And he, yeah, and he was me. My whole life was about children and babies, right? So of course, there's a little, you know, we had a big, big gap there. Um, but everyone has a gap. Like yeah. th this, because you're different people with different experiences. Um, so talk with that other parent, uh, whether you're married to them or whatever your situation is, um, you know, and really, I, I think, um, I don't know why I'm getting so preachy here. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's really not your job to decide what their story is going to be as a parent. It's true. Um, Where yeah. does that mean, though? Because you see the really? potential, you have the what ifs of the effect on your kids. And that's where I think mm -hmm. so many people want to, they want to control all of it because then they know it's going to be good. And it, it's so hard. But I mean, I feel like we could do a whole other conversation on co-parenting, both in, mm -hmm. you know, in relationships yeah. and I don't just mean it in the divorce sense but co-parenting because yeah. Yeah. it's one of the biggest struggles when parents are on different right. pages or even if they're on the same page but don't quite know how to get there and yeah. you know one parent does something that may be triggering for another that can be another source of conflict and and struggle and it's um there's just so many things to explore in that um yeah. but it's certainly a conversation worth having because it's something too many families face yeah, yeah, and with with separation and divorce rates and all of that, it makes it even harder. Um, yeah, it's it's huge. So I'm noticing the time, and I knew this would happen here. I said to Tracy beforehand, "Oh, let's do twenty or thirty minutes." Um, but hey, I see so many of you have hung out with us for all this time, and. Um, I just knew we would have this synergy. This is the first time we're, we're kind of meeting face-to-face -face online. I knew we would have this synergy. So, it doesn't feel like it, though. Sorry. No, I mean, it is, it is absolutely flown. But just for anyone, oh, this is hilarious. So I was just going to say, when we were talking about co-parenting, I was going to say one of the best models out there is Mayim Bellick. And then I just looked over at Shona's comment, and she says, um, has anyone ever told Ann Cullen she looks like Mayne Balick? Well, I mean, that is like the biggest compliment. I don't, whether I look like her or not, like she, she is literally one of my parenting idols. Um, I would totally fangirl on her if I like got to meet her ever. But she, she is such an amazing advocate. Um, like you, she's got the education. She understands the research and she's so brave putting it out there. Um, she's co-parenting in, you know, separate households with with her children's father in such a respectful, beautiful way. Um, so, you know, sometimes we have to look outside of our immediate surrounding um, for our village. And, you know, you have been that for me, a part of it. Like I say, I wish I wish it had been earlier to, to um, impact my parenting even more, but you've certainly impacted my my professional experience and um, you know how I am with my clients. So for that, on behalf of my clients, I thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Similarly, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry, I think it's 
pausing here. I'm like getting okay. it. It's kind of starting to go here. No, I was going to say similarly. I mean, your work is just so outstanding with families and it's as a professional, like I look to other professionals to how to be more professional, which is something I struggle <laughs> with. But um, <laughs> so I just love it because your wealth of experience goes beyond parenting. It is, as you said, these years of working with families outside of even just your own and mm. that unique perspective is just it's so needed and so thank you for that mm. well just like all of your parents need to find your village you know those of us who work with parents also need to find our village so I'm going to keep um, bringing people like Tracy and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be actually bringing Tracy back to talk again. Um, I think we need to talk. We'll have to figure out what we might want to talk about, or we might just do it like this, where it's just whatever comes to our mind. Um, you could probably tell this really was a conversation, um, not an interview, um, not prepared or planned. And we so appreciate, if I can speak on behalf of both of us, um, appreciate you being out there doing what you do every day, whether you're parenting, working with parents or both, um, thank you for, you know, literally doing the most important job on the planet. And if we can all just come back to that, I'm actually getting emotional, but um, it literally is um, this work of, of parenting and supporting parents is the, the highest, best work we can, we can do. So thank you, everybody who's listening for doing what you're doing. Yes. So, yeah. Yes, so I will say those of you who have joined in late and want to go back, um, this should be available pretty much straight away to um, watch and soak up as many times as your heart wants to. Um, and Tracy, um, you are part of the Raised Good Summit. Do you know when your interview is going to be? That, that is on Sunday. Mine is Sunday looking at what we tell these orchid children. Um, you know, what do parents need to know in a bit more depth about that? So yes, that's on Sunday. So if anyone wants to go, there's, um, I know you have links and I know I have links on EP as well that people can sign up. It is free, um, yeah. which I think parents always get worried about that, but it is yeah. uh, during the duration of the summit, it's all free. So yeah. please, if you go on, you'll be able to watch um, live and, and take it in and, you know, that is, it's amazing. Oh my gosh, Tracy, other Tracy. Yes, <laughs> oh I know. It's so confusing. Um, We're like the Tracy, Tracy conversation, which is. What the most amazing um, lineup. Oh my gosh, when I saw her lineup. Um, and of course, I'm going to be part of the next one, whenever that is. But, um, oh, I mean, it starts with you and then everybody, one of my other parenting heroes, Pinky McKay, um, and so many, so many in there. Oh, I want Pinky McKenna's on there. Like, it's just, I know. Mm -hmm. And Laura Markham, I mean, Peter Gray for any education folk out there who's fantastic. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyway, there's just so many people. It's Lindsay Hookaway's on too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. It's a lovely lineup. It is. You should watch it. If anything, you can, you know, you don't have to watch me, but watch the lineup. That's the, watch the you. well, yeah, they may not want to. I don't know. That's <laughs> uh, well, hey, thank you so much again. Thanks, everyone, for um, sticking with us if you've come for the long haul. Um, and we'll be doing this again. But check out Tracy, obviously, on Evolutionary Parenting, the Raised Good Summit, which is starting um, very, very five days of that so um 
but we we're both available if you need us so please get in touch with either one of us if you need some support on your responsive evidence-based um, parenting journey. <laughs> we're, we're happy to help. So thanks so much, Tracy, for joining me today. And thank you, Anne, for having me. <laughs> Yay, it was awesome. All right, bye for now, everybody.